Now today, we have a wonderful part of our teaching team. Vanita is going to come, and she has a great sermon for us. She's continuing our series, How Can Faith Make Life Better? Please welcome Vanita. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. As Sarah mentioned, my name is Vanita. I have been attending the river along with my husband, Todd, for the last six years. He's actually traveling now, uh, which is why he's not here. Some people have asked, where's Todd? So I'm always honored to be able to share a sermon, and I'd like to thank um, Charles for the opportunity. So when this theme was first proposed, I had to think about where I actually see faith show up in my life. And in thinking critically about it, I actually realized that being loved by God and loving him helps me cope with racism and specifically anti-black racism. And my faith helps me understand what it means to be resilient in the face of racism. So believe it or not, I actually experience racism in some way, shape, or form on a regular basis, whether it is locally or globally, directly or indirectly, I see and feel its devastating impact all around me. It's infuriating, it's painful, and I would imagine that we've all been impacted by racism on some level. I think we can all agree that our world would be a much better place without it. Wouldn't it be nice, amen, yes. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice to simply live without not having to think about it? Wouldn't it be wonderful to dwell on the attributes that make each of us unique and beautiful? Understanding that God fearfully and wonderfully made each of us and that we all deserve to be valued. Now, when I count to three, we will wake up out of this dream. One, two, three. So as much as I would like to exist without racism, to live in a lap of luxury of a post racial society, that reality simply does not exist. The reality is that anti-black racism is real and very much alive. It's a societal ill that continues to poison and suffocate, divide and conquer and destroy human connection. When people think about racism, a host of detestable images could possibly come to mind. Maybe Jim Crow laws, white hoods and robes, the N-word, or as singers Billie Holiday and Nina Simone sang in the classic Strange Fruit, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. During a human oppression course, 
that I took some years ago, I remember learning that practically every race and every ethnic, ethnic, ethnic group of people here on U.S. soil has experienced some form of oppression, although it's not always talked about. And it is actually a part of our nation's history that we should probably talk about more. From acts of genocide against Native Americans to the Japanese American internment and from the Chinese Exclusion Act to what some historians believe was at one time among the most overlooked racial problems in the country, the division between Irish and Italians. Human oppression, while horrific, speaks to the spirit of resilience, fortitude, and resolve that so many groups of people had in order to be treated with respect and dignity then and now. What's astounding today is that according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, white supremacist hate groups are actually on the rise, including the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, the most infamous and oldest of American hate groups, primarily targeting black Americans and also attacking Jews, immigrants, and gays and lesbians. In 2018, they tracked 1,020 hate groups across the U.S. While these types of statistics are alarming, particularly as an African-American, I am probably more concerned, believe it or not, with the way racism operates on a daily, everyday basis. While there are so many different definitions of anti-black racism, I've embraced its meaning as having race privilege plus power. That's race privilege plus power. So to be clear, most days, I try to ignore it. I'm just an ordinary, regular person walking down the street, minding my own business, enjoying life, trying to be in a zone, shopping, vacationing, and then it happens. A woman asks where she should check her bag while I'm on vacation. I say, I don't know, I'm on vacation just like you. Someone approaches me in a store for the umpteenth time to ask me to help them find an item because they think I work there. Sorry, I'm shopping just like you. I'm in the elevator, merely taking my leftovers home and someone thinks I'm a delivery person. The same person that I actually had a conversation with weeks before because we found out that we go, we went to the same university, Syracuse. 
she graduated a year before me. And she thought I was the delivery person. Yes, I live here too, just like you. Trying to chill out in our building's lounge. Some family actually mistakes my husband for a TV repairman. And they were actually annoyed that he showed up after the game was over. Well, I can't believe he got here so late. Waiting and so excited about our nephew coming to visit us, who was attending Pratt University at the time. We get a call from the doorman who referred to him as the delivery person. Vanita, your delivery is on its way up. So we went downstairs and had a wonderful conversation with our doorman. You must realize that all people who, all black people who come to this building are not delivery people. On a beautiful, sunny morning, we decide to stop by my favorite French cafe. And I was waiting there in line so excited about receiving my favorite almond croissant. Any almond croissant fans in the house this morning? Yes. So now there's this man behind me actually invading my personal space. And I'm like, whoa, this guy is super close, but okay. Then he's practically on top of me. And I'm like inching up, waiting for my turn. And they ask for the next person to step up. And he actually orders before me. Excuse me. I was here first. Oh, I didn't see you. I know, I said. These are just a few examples. And trust me, we'd be here all day. They are constant, and I have had a number of, let's just say, teachable moments with people, letting them know that I am not and refuse to be invisible. I had the honor of receiving an invitation after submitting a proposal to the National Women's Studies Association next month, and it's going to be held in San Francisco. And the proposal that was accepted is a performance piece. And it's entitled, she says, I am not your Negro. One black woman's protest against invisibility. So I'm looking forward to that experience next month where I get more um, of an opportunity just to talk about um, not wanting to be invisible. So even though these forms of racism may seem insignificant, public health experts, however, point to a growing body of research that suggests that the accumulated impact of these stressors affect long-term health and can contribute to higher rates of mortality and depression in the black community. And we also see 
anti-black discrimination playing out systemically in education, real estate, healthcare, the media, the criminal justice system, and the list goes on and on. There are so many voices, as we know, that continue to speak up and advocate and organize and resist oppressive systems. And great strides have been made throughout centuries. For this, I am grateful. However, the atrocities that persist, frustrate, and hurt me continue to enrage me. Psychologist and social media influencer, Dr. Jennifer Mullen of Decolonizing Therapy, focuses on rage in her work. She says, the pain and hurt that created our rage are desperately searching for liberation. Our own liberation is deeply intertwined with the process of honoring and respecting our histories of trauma. So I ask you, what enrages you? Maybe it's frustration over having to renounce your family name, its language and culture in order to assimilate. Can you relate to any form of racism or discrimination or times when you felt that you or a loved one were treated unfairly? What about a time you felt excluded or treated inequitably? Do you remember how it made you feel? Maybe there were times that you questioned God. I certainly have. My prayer has been something like this. Dear God, I hail from kings and queens, inventors and mathematicians, scientists and architects, and people of great faith who helped build this country. And while my ancestors have contributed so much, they have and still experience so much hate, cruelty, and pain. Why, Lord? Why? I know that not everyone has had personal experiences like mine, but everyone has had some experience with exclusion. Maybe it's a gender-related male privilege thing, Maybe it's an exclusive country club thing. Maybe it's some click at school or work. We can all relate to being unjustly put down or excluded. And when that happens to a whole race like mine on a daily basis, it can have profound effects on our health performance, and life as a whole. And what's worse, we can contribute to excluding others unless we look into ourselves and get into the habit of repenting. Psychologists tell us 
humans tend to actually pass on what we have suffered ourselves. When we get excluded, we can exclude others as a response. And that's why faith and resilience are so important. Now, about that prayer, well, I cannot actually say I've gotten a concrete answer from the Holy Spirit about all of this. I can say that, thank God, peace and contentment fill my heart and fill my spirit. And it helps that I'm connected to Jesus because that has made all the difference in the world. I am grateful for the spirit of resilience that gives all of us the strength to push through these issues time and time again. Resilience is what gives people the psychological and emotional strength to cope with crises or hardship and return to pre-crisis status quickly. It's the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties is toughness. I used to primarily associate resilience with what survivors of major events and catastrophes would have in the face of slavery, hurricanes, the Holocaust, wars, 9-11. One of the things that I've actually come to understand is that we need to have resilience in our lives on a regular basis. And our all-powerful God gives us the courage to exercise it. If we constantly live in a state of anger, even if you feel it's justified, pain or revenge, it can compromise our wellness and our quality of life, and it could lead to illness and dis-ease. This does not mean that we simply forget about these experiences, past or present. We must always remember to never forget. I have a colleague who, during a meeting that we were having on diversity and inclusion, proceeded to share a story about a governor's mansion that she toured. And she talked to the entire group, about 20 people around the table or so, and she said, wow, this governor's mansion was so beautiful. And the furniture and the, and how, the architecture, it was wonderful. And the tour guide took us downstairs to the lower level of the mansion. And I couldn't believe, I was so annoyed that this tour guide actually started sharing a story about enslaved people and how they would whistle as a code and as a way to communicate with each other. Okay, now, let's be clear, the person was white sharing the story. And I sat there and I'm like, is there any, anybody going to say anything? <laughs> and no one said anything until... I just raised my hand and I asked, well, that's a part of, I asked, that's a part of our history. I said, how are we supposed to know our stories and our history? Yes, Benita, I know, but it was just, it was just too much for that tour. It was too much, maybe a different context. 
fast forward to October 8th when we had another meeting with this person and we sat around her conference table and she proceeded to share the same story. And I said, what am I going to do now? So I said, person, you, I remember when you shared this story before and one of the things that I shared before was that it's important for us to have this history and for blacks to, to, to share stories of, of their ancestors. I know, Vanita, but it's so painful. And I said, it's painful. However, we must share the stories. And she said, okay. So again, they're painful and they're difficult. However, these stories must be told. As difficult as life can be, resilience helps us cling to the fact that in spite of our circumstances, we're overcomers. Let's look together at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. And it reads, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, Who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hands of God who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is my favorite part. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 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 Paul was writing to encourage the Romans. And these words serve to encourage us today. That's so powerful. If God is for us, who? is against us who can be against us isn't that encouraging knowing that God is for us not just anyone but God our creator who was all-knowing all-powerful full of grace goodness and love it does not mean that we will not be confronted with strife and hardship It's a reminder, though, that no matter what circumstances or sufferings may come, God is for us and his plans 
are not to harm us, but to give us hope and a future. His only son suffered on the cross for everyone, for all of us. And he was raised to life and is seated at the right hands of God. And the beautiful part is he continues to intercede or look out for us. He's going to God on our behalf. Paul goes on to ask, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Hardship, distress, persecution. He was convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus, our Lord. I was introduced to this scripture through a song that I actually used to lead when I was 13 years old. What shall separate me from the love of God? And it goes on. And that's how I was actually able to actually memorize, for the most part, this particular passage of scripture. I fell in love with it. I know now what I knew back then through all forms of marginalization and the many struggles of life, it was something that I could actually embrace as my truth. These words help me practice resilience through the best of times and through the worst of times. God's love is always freely right here for me without condition and without stipulation. All I need to do is receive his love with open arms. How can we actually have this type of resilience in the face of racism or any form of discrimination or ill treatment? Well, I have a few practical suggestions that I think will help us. One of the things that we could do is to celebrate God every day. Philippians 4 from the Message Bible says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. This is, this is so beautiful to me. Celebrate God every day. There's so many things that would distract us from celebrating God, but I think this is a great reminder to be able to think about all the wonderful things God has done and be joyous, be grateful. Another practical suggestion in addition to celebrating God every day and all he's done for us is meditate on the good stuff. And I refer now to Philippians 4 from the Message Bible as well. Verses 8 and 9. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, 
not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. This is so beautiful. Again, meditating on whatever things are beautiful and lovely because we could focus on the worst if we wanted to. We could focus on things that are ugly if we wanted to, but it doesn't do us any good to do that. It doesn't bring us any joy. And, you know, as someone whose strength, one of my strengths is uh, positivity and even being wired as a positive, optimistic person, sometimes dealing with racism, I find it hard. But what helps me is to meditate on the good stuff, right? And to really be mindful and express gratitude to God about all the things that I'm grateful for, my family, the peace that God gives me, the life of abundance that he's given me. So yeah, I encourage you to meditate on the good stuff and practice self-care. Dr. Mullen, who I referred to earlier, actually says self-care is revolutionary. So what I mean by self-care is pretty much just doing those things that uplift your spirit, those things that are gratifying to you. For some people, it might be getting a massage or getting a facial. For other people, it might be working out. For others, it might be sitting in solitude and, and praying and really connecting with God on a deeper level. For some who love the arts, that might be a form of self-care, going to see a show or going to enjoy some sort of performance, right? So whatever self-care is for you, I would highly encourage you to incorporate it into your life on a regular basis. Schedule that time just for you. And for me, sometimes I do find it hard, but I try to do something on a weekly basis as it relates to self-care. I personally like massages and acupuncture, and I love the arts. So I'm always trying to ensure that those types of things are in my life. Another practical suggestion is something called a culture share. And this is a principle of undoing racism. And I've practiced it, practiced it in various settings. It's when individuals in a certain group have the opportunity to bring in a certain item which is connected to their culture. A, an adult type of show and tell, if you will. This gives them the opportunity to share a bit of their culture with other participants. It's a chance to listen and to be heard, to be exposed to the stories and experiences of others. Culture shares help us value each other. Undoing racism believes that culture is the life support system of a community. If a community's culture is respected and nurtured, the community's power will grow. And you can do culture shares in a host of settings, from life groups to staff meetings to classes you might have the opportunity to teach. It's very 
eye-opening and it's liberating, particularly for people who've never been able to hear from a particular culture other than maybe what they see in the media. So culture share. So there are so many barriers that seek to disconnect us from each other. So this practice can definitely help us connect and all of these practical suggestions. Being connected and having a spirit of resilience in the face of all forms of inequities help us resist and live meaningful, fulfilling, and liberated lives. While we have come from, as the saints of old used to say, a mighty long way, we still have a mighty long way to go related to addressing issues of inclusion and equity. We are certainly not where we need to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. So with all of the experiences I've had, I can attest to the hashtag facts that faith and trust in our great God can make life better. Amen? Amen. Let us take a minute to pray. Dear God, we just thank you and praise you for this day and for this opportunity to reflect upon all of these different issues that are hard to address and hard to deal with, yet they're causing so much pain. So we thank you for this space and we thank you, God, for your power to help us be resilient. We thank you for the gift of love and harmony that helps us be able to relate to each other and respect each other and value each other. Father God, we ask that as we continue to move forward from this place, that you would open us up to new experiences and new connections so that we will grow and be able to practice your love more. We thank you and we praise you, dear Lord, for all things. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Venada. Always good to hear.